Hello, and welcome back to the While We're Waiting Hope After Child Loss podcast. I'm Jill Sullivan, your host and one of the co-founders of the While We're Waiting ministry. Thank you so much for joining us again for another episode. A couple of weeks ago, I had the great blessing to visit with my friend, Carol Brown. She and I had the opportunity to meet in person when she came to one of our While We're Waiting retreats for bereaved moms in the summer of 2019, and I learned so much from her at that event. It's been almost 25 years since Carol's daughter Jackie went to heaven, and she has gained so much wisdom over all those years of waiting to see Jackie again. I believe you'll be blessed by her testimony, and I'm so pleased to share our conversation with you today. Hi, Carol. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Yes, I'm so excited to to just visit with you today, and um, I've been looking forward to this all week. Yes, I have too. Well, good. So let's get started by giving you an opportunity to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Tell us where you're from and what life is like for you there. Well, uh, I'm married to my husband, Buddy. Uh, We've been married for almost 50 years. We're celebrating our our golden wedding anniversary in September. Congratulations. uh, uh, We live here in Arlington, Texas. uh, We're Texans. I'm a Texan by birth. My husband was born in Mississippi, but he got to Texas as soon as he could, he says. (laughs) uh, We we love our state and uh, love the life that we have here. the first three years of our marriage was spent in California, though, because he was uh, stationed at a naval air station there. And our first child, Jackie, our daughter, was born in Oakland, California. So, uh, But she also got to Texas as soon as she could, which is when we got back. Uh, <laughs> right. And so, uh, yeah, we, uh, we have a, a wonderful support system here, uh, family, friends, and um, we're we're very happy to be Texans and to, to the life that God has arranged for us to have over these last uh, years. My husband is, uh, he's my rock. He's my go-to person. He's my tech person. If anything goes wrong, I can, you know, depend on him. He's, you know, he's solid as a rock. And God knew that uh, when he put us together that I was going to need that because I'm kind of all over the place. <laughs> We've made a, a good life together. God's been good to us, even even in the very worst of times. Yes, absolutely. And tell me about your children a little bit. Uh, well, our son, Matthew, is 43. And he lives uh, with his wife and uh, two of the most beautiful, intelligent, uh, smart, lovely grandchildren. You might think I'm a little prejudiced. It's only because I am. Uh, But they live uh, in our town. They live across town from us. So we see them quite frequently. Um, Not as frequently as we used to because uh, uh, for the first nine years, uh, I was their babysitter. Uh, they, I got to, I got to keep them, and of course, when COVID hit, now you know the parents are working from home, so they do all the running around that we used to do, right. and so we still try to carve out time, you know, to see them and uh, sleepovers and that that kind of thing. We're taking him on a trip with us this summer, so we're you know, we're looking forward to that. Wonderful. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we we uh, we're very fortunate to have the relationship and. Uh, the closeness that we have with them. We get to see them quite often. Wonderful. Yes, that's a blessing for sure. Yeah. Good. Well, tell us a little bit more about Jackie in particular. Uh, well, as I said, she was born in California when we were in the Navy. 
Jackie just kind of came into the world um, knowing who she was and where she wanted to go. Uh, I always said God knew she didn't have much time and to accomplish all of the things that he had for her to accomplish. Uh, she, uh, one of the, the earliest snapshots I think I have of her in my mind is when she was two years old in the church nursery. And there was another lady working with me that night. And Jackie was kind of um, herding the children around, teaching them to play a little game. And that lady looked at me and she said, you know, your daughter is a born leader. Mm. And I thought, well, okay. You know, I hadn't, that thought had not crossed my mind at two years old. But when she was five, she came home from kindergarten. She absolutely left school from the get-go, and she had a wonderful teacher. Uh, her kindergarten teacher, was it was her first year. She was bright and fresh and enthusiastic, and, and Jackie just fell in love with her. And, and she came home, and she said, I'm, I'm going to be a teacher, Mom. And uh, I said, well, that's great, honey. That, that's wonderful. You know, thinking that she probably changed her mind, you know, a dozen times. Sure. But, you know, she never did. She She was the kind of kid that once she made a decision – she never looked back, mm-hmm. um, and she knew it from a very young age the calling that God had on her life and the gift that she had. Um, she was um, a goal setter. Uh, she was the kind of girl that would uh, set goals for herself and then set out to meet them. Um, one of the examples that I can uh, think of um, was the fact that she was in the band. She was in the band from junior high on through high school. And she, it wasn't enough for her to be just in at the band. She had to be in the top band, you know, in the performance band. Uh, unfortunately, although she had a strong gift for teaching children, she didn't have so much of a musical gift. She really had to work hard. And I think her band directors saw that in her. And they always made a spot for her in the top band because they knew that she was willing to work and and what her work ethic was. And in her senior year, uh, the band directors awarded her what they call their Triple D Award, which stood for Drive, Determination, and Dedication. And her daddy and I just kind of looked at each other when she received that award and thought that that sums up her whole life Mm. you know that those three words you could um really i mean we probably should have put it on her headstone Mm. because that really did uh exemplify her life um when she made her decision for christ uh at a very young age she never looked back from that either and everything that she did uh was uh, related to who she was in Christ and the calling that he had on her life. And um, so we were, we were just kind of amazed by that. Um, you know, she wasn't the perfect child. Sometimes when I talk about her, you know, I tried to turn her into this, you know, saint. And, uh, you know, she, she had a temper. She and her brother fought like cats and dogs growing up. Uh, but for the, for, for the most part, she made wise decisions for herself and uh she was not going to let anything distract her from where uh she wanted to go uh she uh, another example of this i think is when she was in high school and she had set a goal for herself to graduate with honors and uh so to do that she had to take an advanced math course 
And that was a tough semester uh, for us and for her. She really um, struggled in that math course. And we asked someone from church to come tutor her and, and help her. And in the end, uh, she ended up making a B in the uh, course. And I will never forget, she flounced up to the refrigerator and put that report card, <laughs> stuck that report card up there. And it was there for quite a while. She was so proud of that. And, and she did because she was able to pass that class. She graduated with honors. Mm-hmm. But the teaching uh, was always uppermost in her mind. She, te- she took every advantage of uh, opportunities opportunities that she had, uh, whether it was a camp counselor or teaching Sunday school or, um, you know, any, anything that had to do with children in the church or when uh, she went into high school, she became a part of a mentoring, a tutoring program for underadvantaged kids. Now, it, it didn't matter what it was as long as she could be in the position of teaching. She, she just loved it. She believed that every child could learn. And no matter what their socioeconomic background was, uh, that every child could learn anything and that education was the key to a better life. It was, it was much more than a profession with her. It was really, truly a calling that she felt like God had on her life. Wow, I tell you what, she reminds me a whole lot of somebody very special to me, and that's my daughter, Hannah, who's in heaven. <laughs> those same three words could define her and that those the way she'd set goals and things like that. It sounds like our girls had a lot in common. I'm sure they know each other. I'm sure they've yes, had some good yes. conversations. <laughs> yes, I love that. I love to think about that. So, So things were going really well for Jackie. She had finished college, right? And she had accomplished her goal of becoming a school teacher? She she had. Um, you know, again, she was so anxious to start her life um, that she graduated from college in three and a half years um, from Oklahoma Baptist University, which uh, was a great school. She had a, a wonderful experience there, made a lot of friends, some of them that still keep up with us to this day. Um, but she uh, couldn't find a job because she graduated in December, so there was no teaching job available. Right. So mm-hmm. she put herself on the the substitute list uh, for several school districts in our area. She did some temp work, which she absolutely hated, but it was a paycheck, so she did that. Uh, In the spring uh, of that year, she was able to get a long-term sub-job at a Christian school in our area. And she called me one day, and, and she said, you know, Mom, they've asked me to stay on next year. They've offered me a job. And she said, I don't know if I want to take it. And I said, okay, let's think about this. Where is your calling? You've, you've always felt that calling on your life. Where do you think it is, in the Christian school or in the public schools? Mm-hmm. And she thought for a second, she said, in the public schools, Mom. I think that's where I belong. And I said, well, don't settle for anything less. Mm-hmm. And um, I've often, I, I, in the beginning after she left, after she went to heaven, I had a reason to question that advice. Uh, because you always look back and you think if I had said something different or if I had done something different, that maybe she would still be here. Uh, because that decision to take the job in the public school was um, in many ways sealed her fate, mm. uh, which I'll explain later. Yeah. But that summer, that following summer after the sub job ended, uh, she went to Mississippi and she went to visit some friends and through her friends met 
um, a young man who was a youth pastor at their church. And uh, they just kind of hit it off. You know, Jackie had never really had a serious relationship. Uh, She dated off and on, but again, she didn't want anything to distract her. And so she, um, she didn't, really dated a lot. She had a lot of friends and a lot of guy friends, but, but this was different. And as soon as, as soon as they met each other, there was some spark Mm -hmm. that developed. And when she came home, she told me all about it. And, you know, mommy's, he's so nice. Um, I really liked him, but he's there and I'm here and probably nothing will come of it. Well, something did come of it. He started calling her, um, they began a phone relationship, uh, and then the next thing I knew, he was coming to visit, and I thought, well, wow, you know, this might be something serious, and so he did. He came and visited and spent the weekend with us. Uh, we were very impressed with him. He um, spoke about his faith right off the bat. He let us know where he stood with the Lord. We also understood from talking with him that he had just as much of a calling on his life as Jackie did hers. They really had that in common. Uh, God had called him into the ministry. He, of course, he left after that weekend and went home, and they continued their phone relationship, long-distance relationship. And meanwhile, she had gotten a job in the Fort Worth Independent School District at an elementary school. It was an extremely difficult position. Um, Nothing that she had, uh, none of her education courses, none of her experience had prepared her for these kids who were already so hardened by life. You know, she told me one time that, you know, mom, these kids idea of a weekend is going to spend uh, at at the jailhouse, you know, with their mother's boyfriend, uh, she said, I, I just don't know how to handle these kids. She said, it's all I can do to keep order. I don't feel like I'm teaching. Uh, she would be so upset and so distraught when she would come home. And then she would talk to Jimmy, and he would pray over her. Mm-hmm. They would share scriptures together, and then she would be fine. You know, that gave her what she needed to face the next day. And at that time, uh, Fort Worth Uh, was on a year-round schedule where they would go nine weeks on and three weeks off. And she was hired three weeks into that nine-week period. So she taught exactly six weeks at that school. And the three-week vacation was meant to be spent in Mississippi with Jimmy. They had it all planned. He sent her an airline ticket. So on Saturday morning, after she was out of school on Friday, I took her to DFW and put her on the plane. That was uh, pre-9-11, so I could actually go to the gate with her. And I actually mm-hmm. saw her walk through the tunnel, not realizing that would be the last time, you know, that I would ever see her. Yeah. Uh, she called me on Sunday, and uh, she, uh, she, she would always start her conversations, or, or a lot of times start her conversations with, Mom, I have to tell you a funny story. So she told me this funny story, and we had a good laugh over it. And um, then she said, I love you, Mom. And I said, I love you too, baby. Have a good time. And we hung up. And, of course, those were the last words that mm-hmm. we ever spoke. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they spent all weekend. Uh, he, he would... Um, at, at that time, he had not finished school. He had a class, one class he had to take before he graduated, and he was going to a school in Alabama. So his schedule was he'd go to Alabama, take the class, come back in time to be with the kids in his church on the weekends. So that was that 
that schedule that he had for that semester. So uh, that weekend, uh, of course, he was home in Mississippi, and he would come and stay at his parents' house. And she was real nervous about that because she was going to meet his parents for the first time, and that was scary to her. But they turned out to be wonderful, wonderful mm-hmm. people. And uh, she, um, but, but they just didn't sleep. You know, they, mm. he wanted her to meet his friends. They had all their activities on Sunday at church. On Monday morning, they got up, and he would uh, prepare breakfast for some of the kids before they went to school. And she got up and helped him do that. Uh, she came home and took a nap, but he went on to staff meeting. And uh, then he came home, and they Monday was the day that he would uh, go back to Alabama. And so she was going to go with him, meet his roommates. Uh, he was going to show her around Birmingham. Um, he was going to introduce her to his friends there, to his roommates. Um, he had it planned down to the to the second, all the things that they were going to do. Um, so they got in the car. Somewhere along the road, uh, she took her off her seatbelt because she wanted to, you know, put her head on his shoulder and be close to him. Sure. And then sometime after that, um, he dozed off because he had just not had enough sleep over the weekend. Yeah. Uh, when he realized that he was going off to the side of the road, he overcorrected the steering wheel and the car flipped. Well, she was unrestrained. Um, and God did not suspend the law of physics to save her, uh, which I had a problem with for a long time. Sure. Uh, but she she died of her injuries uh, mm-hmm. in Greenville, Alabama. Uh, so that was um, the beginning of um, our earthquake. I always call it our earthquake that split yeah. our lives into uh, totally. It, it was the last thing we ever expected. You know, it, we saw all of her dreams coming true, everything that we'd always prayed for her. And then in a split second, it was over. Right. It's, it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, for me, my experience is so different in that my daughter had cancer, and we had some time to prepare, um, you know, knowing that God could heal her, but that he might choose not to uh, heal her physically here on earth. So it's always, you know, hard for me to imagine um, a situation like yours, where everything is absolutely fine one moment, and then that earthquake hits, and everything, absolutely everything everything in your life has changed in that moment. Yeah. We met you when you attended one of our while we're waiting mini retreats for moms in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And um, we sat around the circle that day and you shared Jackie's story with us. And I had a little notebook and I was taking notes and I wrote down a few things that you said because, you know, I've, I've been on this journey about half as long as you have. And so I was learning from you too. And um, I want to just kind of talk a little bit for the rest of our time about some of the things that I wrote down that day that you said and ask you if you could just talk a little bit about these things. And one of the things that you said was anger is very destructive. Um, Was anger a big battle for you when Jackie went to heaven? Uh, Talk about that a little bit. Uh, yeah, it, it was a part of my journey. I know it's not a part of everyone's, but I think right. it is a part of a significant number of people that experience anger. Uh, you know, and there's different levels of, of anger. I think my anger came from uh, just frustration. You know, mm. I, I, didn't, uh, have any, I didn't have the answers 
I wanted. Uh, I didn't understand God's plan. Um, our pastor said something just this past Sunday that really spoke to me. He said that anger comes from not having the control that we want to have. And I think that uh, feeling of being out of control um, really led to a lot of my anger and frustration. Uh, I think that part of that is understandable. You know, um, if we can understand that in ourselves and understand that it is not um, a productive emotion, on our path to healing. Uh, sometimes we think we have the right to it. You know, we want to hold on to it because of what has happened to us. Um, the kind of anger, though, that, that really, I think, is the most dangerous and the most destructive is anger at God. Um, Job, we learn from Job that even when everything was taken away from him, in, in a matter of days, he lost everything, including his ten children. But he didn't sin by accusing God of wrongdoing. If we allow ourselves to accuse God of wrongdoing, um, then it takes away all of the characteristics that we know about him from Scripture, that he is holy, that he is righteous, that he's perfect, uh, he's incapable of sin. And so those, those things don't mesh up. And it can really, that kind of anger can destroy our faith. It destroys the very foundation of our faith sometimes. Uh, and our enemy is right there ready to drive that wedge. Uh, he can't take our souls if we're believers, but he can sure play havoc with the relationship that we have with God. You know, you can't trust somebody that you feel like has harmed you. Uh, you can't look for for healing from someone that has injured you. Uh, and so I think we have to be very careful that in our anger that we don't accuse God. Uh, and, and I hear all the time, well, he's, you know, he's big enough. He can take it. He understands it. But I don't think we understand the uh, what we're really feeling and what that feeling can do to our relationship with him. And uh, so that's why it's, I put out those warnings that make sure that your anger doesn't extend um, to God. And also, um, you may have anger with other people. You know, maybe you feel like someone uh, caused your child's death or led to your child's death. I know with, uh, with Jimmy, we had to make that decision in the beginning. And my husband was very helpful in that, that we were not going to be angry with him. We were not going to blame him. He was a mess. <laughs> he, um, yeah. We knew that Jackie would have expected us to comfort him and to help him. And, and, and so we tried in every way to do that. Um, however, his actions after that point uh, kind of stunned us and it, it set us back. It was almost as if we were losing Jackie all over again. Mm. We weren't ready for some of the decisions that he made very soon after Jackie's death. And I struggled with forgiveness. You know, I struggled with anger um, for a long time, a very long time. Um, but God, in this patient and gentle way, has uh, led me to, to that forgiveness. That anger did not overwhelm me. Um, and I can think about him now, um, as, as they say in grief share, you know you've forgiven someone uh, when you begin to wish them well. I can wish him well 
now. And, and I'm so glad that I don't have to struggle with that anymore. Um, so uh, I, one of my favorite verses, um, because a lot of, a lot of the key, um, and this is key in uh, handling any negative emotion, not just anger, but bitterness and jealousy and all of those things that are wrapped up in the anger. Uh, it's Philippians 4.8. He says, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable. You know, think on these things. And a lot of dealing with our emotions is just controlling our thought life. You know, it's really hard to be angry when we're thinking about these positive things. And we also uh, can produce the fruit of the Spirit, which is joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we don't get a pass on those things because we're grieving. Um, we need to be controlling our thought life in all areas of our life, but especially when we're grieving. Because our grief can lead us to God and lead us to a closer relationship, or it can lead us away from Him. Um, but um, it, it's very important to control uh, what we're thinking, uh, what we uh, allow into our minds at, at that point. Yes, I absolutely agree with that, 100%. I think that's so important um, to control as, as much as we can um, what we're allowing into our minds, for mm -hmm. sure. Um, another thing you said that day at that mom's retreat, you said, I have a hole. I can live inside that hole where all the pain is, or I can choose life outside that hole. What did you mean by that, and how do you choose life outside that hole? I think uh, that is a matter of choosing to let go of, uh, again, you know, talking about the, the negatives. Um, I read a, a story one time uh, of Brother Andrew. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he's, sure. he smuggled Bibles, you know, yeah. into communist countries. And he has an illustration in that book about a man who had a pet monkey. And so he did, he decided to experiment with this monkey and he carved, and if you know the story, I may not be telling this completely right, but um, he carved a, or drilled a hole in the top of a coconut. And the hole was just big enough for that monkey to put his paw through. And he dropped a little shiny bead into that coconut because he knew that monkey would be attracted to it. And sure enough, the monkey stuck that paw down into that hole to grasp that shiny ball. But because he had made a fist, he couldn't extract his paw from the coconut. Right. The only way that he could get free was to open up that fist, let the shiny object go, and pull his hand out. And I think uh, living outside the hole means letting go of uh, those things that, as I said, sometimes we feel like we have a right to those things. We have a right to not forgive. We have a right to be angry. We have a right to be disappointed. And uh, But those things, we have to ask ourselves, how are those things helping us? How are those things bringing us closer to God? How are, how are those things helping us to heal? Right. Uh, and the answer is they're not. Mm -hmm. They're doing just the opposite. Um, and so to let go of that and pull yourself up out of the hole, that's, that's where the life is. You know, one of the things that um, 
is in one of the Grease Share videos that I've seen over and over again that really hit me the wrong way the first time I heard it, was that we, uh, our, our child died, our loved one died, but we didn't. And when I first heard that, I thought, but I wanted to die. <laughs> I don't yes. want to be here. I don't want to live anymore in this world without my child. But the fact is that we are here. The fact is that God has ordained all of our days, and he uh, has ordained that we should live them with purpose and with meaning. Um, and, and so grasping a hold of that and believing that and believing that there is still life out there, maybe when we can't even see it, if we can learn to live in anticipation of a time mm -hmm. yes. when we're going to be healed and when God is going to use all of this pain and all of this sorrow for good, um, even though we can't maybe visualize it right now, just know that in the future that God is going to do that. And so just walk in that anticipation. Um, and that helps too with all of the negative, you know, all the negative things that hold us back. I love that idea of walking in anticipation because, man, when you're early on in grief, you can't see it. You can't see outside that hole. Mm -mm. You can't. But if you know, if, if you've got that hope and you just hang on to that anticipation that one day you will, then, um, then you can continue to move forward. Yeah. And really what we tend to do and what I did, uh, and I can remember this just like it was yesterday. I was in the car driving somewhere and the thought just came into my mind. This is the way it's always going to be. You are always going to be grieving intensely uh, and you may as well just get used to it because this is your life from now on until you go to heaven to be with your daughter again. And I believed it. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I was living in anticipation of all of the heartache and the pain that was always going to be a part of my life, I thought. And, uh, and, and that really, I, I learned through that not to project the pain that you're feeling right now, early on in grief, on into your future. You know, just walk day by day. Um, you know, every day has enough trouble of its own, as we find in Scripture. And um, walk in that minute by minute, depending on the Lord, um, just depending on His mercy and His grace to get you through the next five minutes. Don't look out five years, ten years, you know, because it's impossible to know. So just stay in tune with the Lord for right now where you are. Um, and But again, you can have that anticipation that things won't always be this way. You know, what a difference just that small change in perspective can make. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing that. Another issue that many bereaved parents deal with is guilt. Um, the feeling that maybe they bear some responsibility for their child's death because of sin in their lives or maybe because of wrong choices that they've made in the past. How would you respond to a parent who is wondering if their child's death is maybe God's way of punishing them for past sins? Well, this was a real big issue for me because there was a time in my life that I went down a dark path. Um, I was very young. Uh, I wasn't aware, as aware as I should have been about who I was in Christ, my identity in Christ. And so I tried to find that worth, that value in other things. And, um, you know, it, that's a dead-end path, as I found out. It, it leads to the pig pen, just like the prodigal son. Mm -hmm. And I had to come to that point in my life where I returned 
to my father and the things that I knew were to be true and right for my life and healthy. Uh, and after Jackie died, though, I was, I was searching for answers. And I, the guilt was overwhelming because I thought, yes, I knew I'd been forgiven for those uh, sins that I committed all those years ago. Uh, I knew God had restored me as his child. But maybe this was the consequence. Maybe that consequence had been set a long time ago and it was unchangeable. Uh, but God, in his loving way, in his patient way, led me to the story of the prodigal son. When the prodigal son returns to his father, his father is overjoyed, and he puts a, a robe on him and gives him a fancy ring and has this big feast, fills the, kills the fatted calf, and, you know, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And it never says in the story that years later, the father comes to the son and takes something precious in payment for his sin. That's not part of the story. And, and God said, Carol, that's not part of your story either. No, you are restored. I have put your sin as far from the east as to the west. You know, I I don't remember your sin. You came to me. You confessed it. I cleansed you. You've been cleansed by the blood of Christ. Uh, I don't want you to live this way in guilt. I don't want you thinking that I took your child uh, as punishment. And from that, uh, I think I began to realize that instead of punishment, uh, he gave me Jackie to uh, make up for some of those years that the locust had eaten. You know, she was uh, so different from me. I mean, she knew who she was from the get-go. She never wandered around. She, you know, never made all those detours. And, and God said, I, I restored you, and I blessed you through your child. And so I had to, you know, I had to just embrace that as truth um, because, you know, the enemy wants to whisper those things in your ear. You know, you, you're, you weren't good enough. You weren't pretty enough. You weren't smart enough. You know, whatever it took to be enough, I wasn't it in my mind back in those days. And God says, you're, you're everything to me. You know, I gave up my only son for you. You are precious. You are my child. You are my treasure. And uh, so he he really has restored me in so many ways. And uh, um, I'm hoping this will, I'm amazed at how many people feel the same way, you know, uh, that I did. I thought I was the only one. And when I began to hear from people, they said, oh, this is my story. And I still wonder if God's punishing me. And, uh, you know, if you, if you have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, if you've come and confessed that sin, he doesn't remember it. He doesn't come and take something precious from you years later. The other shoe is not going to drop. Um, and, and so I hope that brings some comfort to some somebody that might be struggling with that. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. We had a dad at one of our retreats one time. He said, I, had, I came to the realization that God did not punish me. He he rewarded my son when he took yeah. him to heaven. You know, I love and, that. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. a um, again change in perspective. The way you look at it can really, really make a difference in how you feel. Yes. Um, but yeah, you know, God doesn't punish us; He rewards our children when He takes them to heaven. Amen. 
You know, I remember when Hannah first went to heaven, I couldn't imagine living with that grief for 24 hours or even 24 days. I remember looking at people that were farther ahead of me on the road and just thinking, how have they even survived six months or a year? And now for you, it's been a little over 24 years since Jackie went to heaven. And uh, for me, it's been almost 12. It'll be 12 years uh, this month. So I want you to think back, if you can, to those very early days of your grief. We've already kind of touched on this a little bit. But what other advice would you give to a newly bereaved parent, somebody who is just starting on this road? Um, Well, especially for um, the believer in Christ, um, if like I was brought up in the church, knew all the stuff, you know, that I was supposed to know. Um, And I think sometimes we get a, a perception that Christians don't grieve like other people. Right that Christians somehow um, are anesthetized or immune uh, through their faith. And the sad fact is that other people believe that about you. And uh, sometimes if you go beyond a certain time limit that they set for you, which is totally artificial, uh, you feel like maybe you're being judged Uh, for your lack of faith, or maybe your faith was not quite as strong as they thought it was. And and we had to get beyond that. We had to get beyond that in the church. Uh, You know, one of the things that I think that uh, people in While We're Waiting are so good at is educating people in the church about what grief is and uh, what it does to a person. But I would say just give yourself grace. Don't, don't have a lot of unrealistic ex- expectations of yourself. Just because other people do, you don't have to. Uh, be patient and, and gentle. Um, and, and just because, uh, just as you don't have a lot of expectations of yourself, don't have too many expectations of other people. Uh, because with child loss in particular, it's really hard to find someone who's willing to be empathetic, to, who's willing to put themselves in your shoes. Um, and so you might feel somewhat abandoned, uh, and you might feel that you don't maybe have someone who truly understands what you're going through. Um, but I would say seek out people who maybe have your same experience, an an online group if you don't have any other access to anything else, Uh, a a grief share group, although it's not uh, specifically geared to people who've lost children, it still has a lot of things that you can uh, get out of that and uh, gives you a community, you know, to be in where you feel safe. Mm -hmm. So I would just say find a a safe place that you can just let it all out. Because um, I know in an online group of parents who – have had your same loss, um, they're going to understand like nobody else can. And uh, so it's really, um, you know, I think it's important to do that. Um, and, And to know that, grief is a natural response to losing a child. Uh, It just is. How could it not be? Um, Some of the things I think that are a little more difficult to do, but that will really help is just to stay in God's word. That's sometimes the last thing we want to do. We don't want to pray. We don't want to read our Bibles. Uh, But uh, if you can just uh, do a little daily devotional that maybe has one verse in it, 
uh, something like that that will just kind of keep your mind on the Word of God and, and to keep your mind uh, occupied with what He's telling you and not what the world necessarily is telling you. I think journaling is a great idea. Um, even if you've never written much before, uh, it's just a way to get everything out. I journaled every night for a year, and I my journal was in the form of letters to Jackie. And that's, mm. This is what I'm going through. This is what I'm feeling. You know, I'm missing you. I don't think I can go another day. I don't know how I'm going to get through the day tomorrow, let alone the next, you know, years of my life. Right. But it just it was just a release, you know, for me to be able to to do that. Uh, also, um, I would say stay stay connected to God's people, and I know that's hard to going back to church. and And I'm not saying we should just jump right back into church life the way we were before. That's usually not a, a good idea. Uh, as you go along, you may find avenues and areas of ministry that you never thought you would have. That has right. been true in my case. Um, but try to try to don't abandon. Because people really do care about you, uh, and we need to learn to uh, express what we need. If we can learn to express what we need, people are there to, to help us. They just don't know what to do. So um, ask for help for other, from other people and, and God's people, people who love you, people who have the same Holy Spirit in them that lives in you, things that you have in, in common. Don't make a lot of big decisions. That's a that's a big one, uh, and I think y'all talked about that before on some podcast. Uh, yeah. Try to put them off if you can, because you're not in a a good place to do that mentally or emotionally. Uh, don't make any big plans to spend a lot of money because you may regret that later on. Yes. There's just some practical things that you can do to take care of yourself physically. Uh, there's an, an acronym called DEER, D-E-E-R. Uh, the first one stands for drink. Make sure that you are hydrated. Uh, and, and all of these, these four things make a real big difference in grief brain. We talk about grief brain fog. The lack of these things are going to make grief brain a lot worse. Uh, because when we're dehydrated, we're not mentally sharp. So just keep a water bottle with you, you know, and, and take sips through the day. And the E is, the first E is for eat. Um, and again, that's one of the last things we want to think about when we're first newly bereaved. Which food doesn't appeal to us at all. Uh, but keep snacks in the house uh, that you can maybe eat four or five small meals a day to keep your blood sugar leveled out. Uh, because that's another thing that can really exacerbate grief brain if your blood sugar drops. So uh, fruit, uh, cheese crackers, whatever that you can just snack on through the day to make sure your blood sugar stays where it should. And uh, the second E is exercise. And uh, you don't have to join a gym. You know, you don't need to um, be um, more active than you want to be. But it might just be a walk, you know, walk around the block, um, a run. You know, if you're a runner, you might uh, go to a local park and do a run or just whatever it is that you feel like is um, is helpful for you because there's something about endorphins, that natural high that comes from endorphins that really do help you mentally. And the last one is rest. Uh, sometimes that's really difficult. Uh, sleep was 
a terrible problem for me. I could not sleep. Uh, and so I would be exhausted. I had no resources in me to handle all of the grief that I was bearing because I was just so tired all the time. Um, and so if, if you need something to help you in that area, you know, talk to your doctor. Um, talk to your doctor about maybe some uh, something safe that, that you might take that might help you with sleep, um, something that's on habit-forming, obviously. Uh, and just have a talk and be real honest with him and say, this is where I am. I, I can't sleep. What advice do you have to give me? So those those things are really uh, important to do. They're real practical things, but important to uh, our mental and emotional health as well as our physical health. Thank you so much for sharing that, Carol, because that's such practical information. And I know for me, the ones that I really relate to, exercise was huge for me when I started exercising. That really, really helped me. Um, just gave me something to kind of look forward to. It sounds strange to think about looking forward to exercise, but um, it was something that was really beneficial for me. And then the rest, uh, rest was very, very, very elusive for me for a long time. And when I was tired, that's when I was most um, vulnerable to the attacks of Satan. And so I realized really quickly that I really needed to focus on getting rest as much as possible. So... Thank you so much for sharing that. Sure, sure. Yeah. So another question for you. Um, I know that the loss of a child changes a parent profoundly at a very deep level. So how do you feel that Jackie's home going has changed you? Well, I think that, uh, of course, like we all are, we're more aware of the brevity and the uncertainty of life. We never really know what's waiting for us around the next corner, um, whether it's a, you know, a, diagno a diagnosis or an accident or um, the loss of an ability or the loss of a job or the loss of a marriage. I mean, there are many, many different uh, kinds of, of losses and, and sometimes uh, we're really blindsided by them and there's, there's no way, I mean, how do you prepare for the death of your child? You know, so um, I'm, I'm, I'm really um, more aware of that, that not everything is going to go the way that I want it to go. I think that I was, you know, I was living in a bubble for a long time. Uh, you know, we um, had gotten past the point in our marriage where we were concerned so much with finances. Um, we had a, a certainly not a fancy home, but a, a certainly more than adequate for our needs. We had good neighbors. We had uh, a good family ties. Uh, our children were doing well. Uh, we, I, I think we sort of had this idea that we were living right, you know, and because we were living right, God was sort of obligated to make our lives go the way we wanted them to. And so when Jackie died, that myth was shattered, along with a lot of other myths that I'd had about God. Right. And I, I kind of had to relearn some, some things. I know C.S. Lewis uh, has a, a quote, and I can't quote it exactly, but he says, you know, my idea about God is not who God is. And sometimes he has to take a hammer and shatter that image that we had in order for him to show us who he really is. And uh, the, it was a shattering experience when, when Jackie passed away. Um, you know, my neighbor 
told me one time, you know, she, she's looked at me and she's things like this just don't happen to people like the Browns. And I said, well, obviously it does. Right. It could happen to anyone. And um, so uh, that's, that's kind of the main thing that I learned, that I, I'm not in control, that God is in control. I can't obligate him to bend to my will. I am to bend to his will. And uh, that's hard with our human nature to, to grasp that. But that's, that's one of the main things. Um, and, but I, I think I've become more empathetic. I've become more patient. I've learned not to compare my grief with someone else's because that just makes you mad. Because <laughs> you, you think, well, they, they still have their child, you know, they should be happy. They, they shouldn't be complaining. Um, you know, I have, we have dear friends. Um, Cindy is my best friend in the world. We've been friends for over 40 years. We've been through the wars together. She has not lost a child, but at this moment, she and her husband are waiting outside prison gates for their son to be released. Yeah. That's a grief for them. Oh, That's a loss of a lot of hopes and dreams when, you know, he's been in prison for two years. Uh, and so I have to understand that just because somebody has not lost a child, it doesn't mean that they don't grieve those children, Absolutely. the loss of the hopes and dreams that they have for those children. So I think it's, it's opened my eyes to the fact that everybody has something. You know, everybody, if you really get to know someone well, you know that there's some hurt or some loss in their lives that they have grieved. Or if they haven't, they will in the future. You know, it's just a part of living in the broken world. So I think it's, it's taught me to be more empathetic and understanding of what other people go through, even though it may not be my exact same loss. You know, the Bible tells us to uh, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn, not if their loss is the same as yours just to mourn with them, to sit with them and comfort them. Uh, that's, that's just something that you, um, maybe you didn't have that yourself, but that doesn't mean that you can't offer that to someone else. In fact, that's more of a reason to offer it to someone else. Right. Paul David Tripp says that we become conduits of comfort. And I love that. You know, I love that we are conduit. God's comfort flows through us, through our pain, through our experiences. That comfort, if we don't block it, um, it, it can flow through us, and God can use that. Absolutely. I think that's absolutely true. And, you know, I think sometimes as bereaved parents, we can re- we can mourn with those who mourn, but sometimes it's hard to rejoice with those who rejoice. You know, oh, yes. <laughs> when their children are growing up and accomplishing milestones and, you know, having what would be, you know, grandbabies and things like that, those sometimes are a little bit hard to rejoice with. Yeah, absolutely. I had a real, real problem with that. Uh, I saw Jackie's friends going on with their lives. And, you know, I tried to be happy for them. um, But inside, there was just a real jealousy. Um, You know, God had to really work on me uh, in that area. Because, you know, I didn't want to go to baby showers. I didn't want to go to weddings, you know, because that was supposed to be me. And uh, and so I had to really grieve you know, you grieve so much when you lose a child. You grieve your future. You grieve all of those plans and hopes and dreams that you had for that child. And, and those all have to be grieved. And um, sometimes if, if we hold any of that back, then it'll come back later on in jealousy, in the inability to be happy for other people. Right. Yeah, I think God has to give us grace 
to allow us to rejoice with those who rejoice. And it's just, it's a process. It's a process. It is. So, um, another thing I wrote down as you shared your story with us at the refuge that day was this, you said, never doubt in the dark, what you know to be true in the light. What did those words mean to you? Um, you know, the writer of, of Hebrews um, was writing to people who were under tremendous persecution, going through terrific hardships, and he urged them not to throw away their confidence. I had a kind of a picture in my mind of, you know, maybe I'm on a ship out in the middle of the ocean, and I have a life jacket on for my protection, and all of a sudden, an uh, unexpected storm comes up, and the waves are uh, tossing the ship back and forth, and you actually are washed over the side of that ship, and you're in the ocean with all these waves uh, surrounding you. That is not the time to throw away your life jacket, <laughs> because you know that life jacket is what's going to keep you afloat. It's what's going to keep you alive. Um, and, and I'm not saying that we never doubt. I'm not saying that we face grief with no questions. You know, we, we can make lament, pouring out our hearts to God. You know, I love David's uh, lament in Scripture because, you know, he pours out his heart, all of his questions. He doesn't understand uh, what's happening to him. And, and God, where are you? But at the end of each lament, he expresses his faith that God is going to act on his behalf eventually that God is going to show up. And um, so I think that's something that, uh, you know, I've done a lot of reading of laments, you know, when I'm kind of down in the dumps about, you know, not necessarily my grief about anything. You know, I don't understand why God's allowing this to happen. Uh, But in the end, God wins. We know that. So so lament lament is, is good. But throwing away our confidence is an entirely different uh, scenario, and and that's something that um, that we want to take care that we don't do that. That those fundamentals of faith are still intact, uh, because that's that's where our hope is. Without God's promises, uh, we're pretty much left on our own and and hopeless, and we we don't want to find ourselves in that situation. However, I would also say went along with that statement that we should carry what we learn in the dark into the light um, and live by what we've learned in those dark places. Uh, Share the faithfulness of God. Share how God has been faithful. Uh, Encourage other people. Um, Say, you know, Tell them that this is this is hard right now, and I understand this is hard, but it's not always going to be that way. The, the way that you feel right now is not the way that you're always going to feel. Uh, I learned that in the dark, and I can bring that into the light and share it with other people. Wow. Thank you, Carol. <laughs> I tell you what, I've just been, you know, it's been 12 years for me since Hannah went to heaven, and I'm learning a lot just from from visiting with you today. Uh, just a lot of encouragement in the things that you're saying, and just some very practical tips, and you know things that things that I know, and things that we, you know, many of us who are listening know. But what a great reminder um, to bring those things that we learn in the dark into the light with us and carry those with us. Um, thank you for that. Thank you so much. So one last question that I always like to ask, um, you know, we call this ministry while we're waiting. Uh, we talk about how are we going to live well while we're waiting to see our children again? 
So how are you seeking to live well while you're waiting to see Jackie again? Uh, I, I think the first thing that we all have to do is to make sure of our relationship with Jesus. Um, that's fundamental. That's foundational. Um, Jesus died on the cross not only to save us from our sins, but he rose and he conquered death. And we can have that surety. We can have that confidence. Uh, if we have turned to him in, in repentance and faith, we know that we're uh, bound for heaven and we're going to see our loved ones again. So that, that has to be it, that starting point is to know Jesus and know him in faith. Um, I think also staying in the Word, and I've mentioned that before, um, you know, taking in the Word yourself is so important. Um, whether you do a devotional or whether you do a, a Bible study or, or whatever. But, you know, I went all those years in church. I, I mean, I was a church girl. I was there since infancy. And I never got the part about who I was in Christ. I knew Jesus. I was I was saved. I, I was saved at eight years old, but I didn't get that part about who I was, how that changed me, how I had become a new creature, yeah. and and so I think just since that time, um, I have come to know who I am, and I know that God has not brought me this far to leave me, and so anything else that happens to me, because I know that He has. Uh, so graciously provided everything that I needed to walk this path. He'll provide everything that I need in the future. So um, I think it takes a lot of the worry out of, you know, I, I said life is uncertain, uncertain and short, but it takes a lot of the worry and fear out of that fact. And uh, so I think living well is living without fear um, of, of the future. Right. And, uh, I think that um, one of the things that I do, um, try to do on a regular basis, is set up altars of remembrance in my mind. Every time that God shows up in a situation, I try to make a mental note of that, or sometimes I'll write it down. Um, because, that, you know, the people in the Old Testament did that. That's what they did. They set up yeah. altars whenever God revealed something to them or provided something for them. And they, they named that altar to reflect what God had done in that place. And I, I, I try to, to do that whenever I'm, um, you know, I'm getting, get a little nervous about something or a little become, find myself becoming fearful about a certain situation. I, look, I can look back and see all those places that God was and how he provided. Uh, he is, um, he knows us so intimately. Uh, it amazes me. And he knows how to provide just what we need at just the right time because he knows us so well. And that provision is just for us. Um, uh, that's one of the things I really um, was amazed and gratified by when I realized. And, and it, it took away a lot of that anger that I had because I realized, oh, you know, God was here and, and God was there. And when I started thinking about it, I thought, how did he, how did he show up? You know, what are the things he used? He used the people of God. Mm. He mm -hmm. used people to comfort me. I, I'd get a phone call or I would get a note or someone would want to give me something that they thought I um, would appreciate. Um, 
just being the hands and feet of Jesus uh, it was is how he provides for us. Yes. And he moves the heart. Um, and I'll tell you this, this one really short story that, I, that God really taught me through this, that I needed to show up when he called me to show up. Uh, our pastor, um, who performed Jackie's service and who loved Jackie, uh, his wife sang at Jackie's funeral. Uh, they were coming home from an anniversary uh, weekend, and he, the pastor was killed mm. instantly in a roadside, just a freak roadside accident. Wow. Uh, they weren't in our town. I wasn't, when I got the call, I didn't know where they were. You know, really, I knew kind of the general vicinity, and I, I felt this urge. Of course, it was a shock, uh, but I felt this urge right away. You need to go to their house, go to their house. And I thought, okay. And I told my son, I said, I got in the car, and I drove over there and knocked on the door, and no one was home, of course. Right. And I thought, why did I do this? Yeah, yeah. This is a silly idea. And it was hot. It was in June in Texas, very hot. Yeah. And um, as I turned to go back to my car, another car pulls up, and it's uh, Miss Eleanor and her son. Her son had been called to the scene, and they just now had gotten her back home. Mm. Uh, you know, that was just God's timing. And she asked me, you know, she got out of the car and we just held each other in the street and yeah. cried. It was, um, it's, it was just, uh, uh, just such an awful thing to happen, uh, and unexpected. And, um, she asked me for several weeks at church after that. She mm-hmm. said, how did you know? How did you know to be there? And I said, well, Miss Eleanor, God just yeah. told me to be there. I don't know how to explain it any other way. I just really felt that pull to be there. And then I learned after that, that um, her son said that he was dreading going into that house Mm -hmm. by himself with his mom. He said, I just dreaded it all the way home to go into that empty house, knowing that Leslie was not there. And he said, I don't know how I would have done it if she Mm -hmm. hadn't been there. And so what uh, living well, I think is just showing up when God tells you to show up. You know, that, that's what gives real meaning, because you really are being the hands and feet of Jesus when you are willing to uh, use your experiences and use your pain to reach out and comfort someone else and just, just be there. Just be available to people. Just show up. <laughs> yeah, just, just show up. Oh, well, Carol, I have so enjoyed our conversation today. Um, it's just always a blessing to talk to you and... I just, I'm excited about what our listeners are going to hear when they listen to this podcast, because I know it's going to be so, so beneficial to them. I hope so. Yeah. So thank you for coming on and for being our guest today, um, just to talk about Jackie and to share just the faithfulness of God um, that you've experienced over the past just almost 25 years now. And uh, I just appreciate you sharing your wisdom and the things you've learned with us today. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I'm, I am so blessed to uh, to be a part of this. And uh, I've listened to other podcasts, and uh, they've been so helpful. Uh, and so I was really uh, so glad to have the opportunity to be a part of it myself. So thank you for asking me. <laughs> well, you're welcome. Thank you so much. Okay, great, Jill. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it brought you some comfort and encouragement today and maybe made you feel a little less alone on the journey. Please subscribe so you'll never miss an episode and and maybe leave us a rating in iTunes to help others find the podcast. Again, we're glad you spent a few minutes with us today. It's a blessing to walk beside you as we seek to live well while we're waiting.